You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. So we're continuing our series uh, called The Gift Of. And uh, as you can see, uh, this week uh, we're going to be talking about uh, using Mary as sort of our... um, our uh, springboard uh, to talk about what we're talking about. This week we're going to be talking about the gift of, last week we talked about the gift of God, right? That God himself was the gift, that God in Jesus Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Um, this week we're going to talk about the, okay, here's the, uh, the scripture, if you can read that. The gift of salvation, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow uh, due to change. So this is a season of gift giving, and we're reminding ourselves today that God is the best at this. He's the original. Um, he's the, he, he knows how to give really good gifts. Every good thing that you have comes from God. And that's one of the things that God was drilling into the Israelites um, in the law, is that he wanted them to be in the habit of continually being grateful continually saying, I'm grateful. So that's what the Sabbath was about. That's what the tithe was about. That's what the feasts uh, were about that they did on a regular basis um, throughout their lives. He he built this into the rhythm of their lives to say, God is a good giver of gifts, and I am benefiting so much from everything that he's done. And he kind of gave them a track to run on so that they wouldn't forget any of this stuff. Um, And it's all based on the fact that he is the giver of every perfect gift, every good thing that, he, that you have, and he has more gifts for you. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 21, um, is, uh, this is when the angel was talking to uh, Joseph and telling Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your uh, wife because what is in her is from God. It's not from man. It's not a, it's not a sign of a great failure or, uh, or a, uh, a lack of a breakdown in her morality, um, but that it is, it's from God, and she is a chosen vessel, far from being an object of shame or, or derision or something to be rejected. She is something to be celebrated and to rejoice in. Um, and, and here's what the gift is. God, God promised a redeemer right after the fall uh, of man. So when man fell, immediately on the heels of that fall, was God's word, his promise that he was going to do something about this. And this is the way our lives go. We have great successes sometimes and we have great failures sometimes. God is not just an observer. He's not just a a witness to what's going on. But he is intricately involved in our lives. So when we have success, we thank God for that. And when we have failure and when we fall know that God never abandons us. He never abandons us. I know there are times when the devil is going to tell you, if you do that, you're totally lost. God doesn't say that to you. The devil will tell you that you have completely disqualified yourself. God is eternally hopeful and purposeful about redeeming every situation that you have gone through, whether it's of your choosing or whether it's something that's happened to you. Um... Everybody was looking for the coming of the Messiah. Now, now Israel 
had, um, God had made promises to Israel, and God had told them um, certain things to look for. The way that God does it, though, is that he does it in a way that we understand, but we don't understand. And we know what he's going to do, but we really don't know what he's going to do. We know what he's going to do, we just don't know how he's going to do it. Amen? And the reason why he does that is because he wants to keep us, continually keep us in dependence upon him. Um, I started uh, reading through the Bible in a year. Becky and I are doing it together on the, uh, uh, the U version of the Bible. Um, and uh, this is kind of maybe a little bit of a strange time to start reading through the Bible in a year because in three weeks or so is the beginning of the year, and that's when most people do. Well, I'm building in some lag time there, you, you know, so I'm starting early, so I'm going to have some days that I'm going to miss, and I'm going to, on the U version, you can say, catch me up, and it'll redo the whole thing as if you'd never, you know, slept through one of your Bible readings. Um, but anyway, I'm starting it now. So you know what it's like when you first start reading through the Bible. It starts in Genesis. It starts with the story of Adam and Eve. And then it starts, it, it tells us kind of the history of mankind. This is what mankind looks like when mankind falls. I mean, and it's a sordid tale. It's some horrible stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, the guy with the most might and the, most, and the biggest, you know, weapon is the one that rules. And God looked at that and just this incredible fall of mankind from being walking with him in the cool of the day and having direct fellowship with God to being murderous, to being unfaithful, to being arrogant and proud, to all of these things. And God looked at mankind, and he was just like, you know, that's an indication that they need a Savior. That's an indication that left to their own devices. Man, I don't know how long mankind has been on the earth. I mean, like in a literal, real sense, okay? I know that there are some figurative language in the Bible that talks about time, I don't know that you can actually say this is how long by counting the generations, but I can tell you this, I don't believe it's been a million years because I don't think we would survive for a million years. I don't think that's possible for mankind without the intervention of God, without the intervention of Jesus Christ. And the, and the first couple of chapters um, shows that. It shows what man is left to his own devices and how badly we need a Savior. And then God picks a man. And the man is Abraham, Abram, when God first calls him. And God tells him, leave your, the land of your fathers and go to a land that I have prepared for you, a land that I am going to give you. And that's pretty much it. It's pretty much all that he said. He said, you leave and you go. I'm really struck by not just Abraham's willingness to move in faith, but I'm also struck by Abraham's faithfulness in the silent time. In the time when God has called him, God did two things. He, he told him what he was going to do, and he told Abraham what to do. But those were just like two pronouncements in a very long life. And I'm really struck by the fact that Abraham was faithful. Abraham was not perfect. Abraham did some crazy things that if I had done that, you know, told somebody that my wife was my sister so that I wouldn't get killed and they could have my wife, you know? That's pretty bad. That's a pretty major fall. Abraham did that. He didn't just do it once, he did it twice. Nevertheless, God said, this is what I'm going to do. And listen to me, when God speaks, you can hang your hat on it. When God speaks, you can build your life on it. And that's what Abraham did. When God speaks and he says, this is what I'm going to do, count on it. It's what he will do. 
And you can look at him and trust him for his faithfulness, or you can look at yourself and begin to doubt because you're looking at yourself, you're looking at what you're made of, and you're looking at what you're capable of. And Abraham was all of those things. God said, I'm going to do this, and then God stepped in, even in Abraham's failures, and caused his word to become true in Abraham. What God told Abraham he would do, he did do. He did it in his own time, and he did it in his own way. Fast forward to you. Stop for a minute and think. Abraham is a man who has been singled out in history that generations have talked about and studied and and considered this. But listen, you are no less important of an element in God's plan than Abraham was. Now, Abraham was stepped out in faith. He had those specific words from God. Didn't contain specifics of how God was going to do it, but those specific words from God. And then the rest of the time, it's almost like he's left on his own just to live his life. Right? I mean, some of the things that he got himself into were obviously not something that God had told him or wanted him to do. It's Abraham trying to figure it out. And there's a lot of our lives that's like that. There's a lot of our lives that we're just kind of in the dark. What do we do in the downtime? God says, this is what you are, and this is what I've called you to do. And then we have these whole huge spaces of time when we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. When I first got saved, I'll never forget this. I was like, I was just felt such an overwhelming sense of the presence of God and the, and the purpose of God in my life that one morning I woke up before I went to, to work and I was like trying to decide which pair of socks, literally, which pair of socks to wear. And I just stopped and prayed. And I said, God, which pair of socks do you want me to wear? Now listen, I'm not suggesting that you do that every day. But I am suggesting that there is something about submitting yourself in the big things and the little things to the will of God and seeking his face. I think if I did that every morning, God would get tired of it and he'd finally say, Joe, just put some socks. But at that time, for me, it was an indication of how deeply I wanted to know what he had for me and what he wanted for me. I don't think that the socks were significant. I think my life was significant and submitting myself to him. What do you do in the downtime? What do you do? You be faithful. You be faithful. Because the purpose of God is not just to reconcile you to God when you die so you can go to heaven, but the purpose of God is to demonstrate in you a person's life whose life is reconciled to God and lives a lifestyle that shows that. A redeemed lifestyle, not the old lifestyle, but a new creation. That's your purpose. And listen to me, there's no downtime. There's no time that's, not un, that's unimportant to God where God says, I just need you to be here at this time and I need you to be there at that time so I can do what I want to do. It's all of it is all his. All of it belongs to him. There's no idle day. There's no idle month. There's no time, even when you don't think anything is going on, if you're being faithful to God, something is going on. And that's what it means to wait on God. If you've ever waited on tables, you know what it means to wait on God. It's not passive. It's not like fiddling, you know, I mean, uh, uh, what do you call it? Twiddling. Twiddling. Thank you. Twiddling your thumbs. My brain is not working today. I already, like Becky and I this morning, we were trying to think of the name of this little cupboard thing that they use for like a bandstand, you know, that's got the pointed roof. You know what it is? It's a gazebo. Couldn't think of the gazebo. That's just one of those things that happens when you get older, right? 
Downtime is not just twiddling your thumbs. Downtime is not just the time when God says, I want you here, and then I want you here. You're on your own in, the, in between. You're never on your own. And there's no downtime with God. God had a plan to restore a right relationship with him. He chose a man. He chose Abram to begin that. And Abram's position was a privileged position. And Abraham taught his children carefully. And what he instilled in them is, here's who we are, here's who God is, and here's what his plan is. And he instilled that in them. And even Isaac and even Jacob, in all their flaws, even Joseph, in all of the flaws and all the failures that you see in this, in this generation, they all deeply embrace this unique call of God upon their lives. They all did. And it was passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. And when David came, God said the, the deliverer was going to come through the line of David. And he's continued it on, he's continued it on. And now Israel finds themselves in, under oppression. They find themselves occupied. They don't even really own the land that they're living in. They're in exile in their own land. They're still given some ability to practice their religion, but by and large, they're just a shadow of what they thought that they would be. And oh, they're crying out for this Messiah. And oh, they're waiting for this Messiah. And they have an idea what that Messiah is from because they're crying out to God. Have you ever done this? Cry out to God for deliverance. Oh, God, deliver me. Oh, God, show up. Here's the deal. God had way bigger plans than to deliver them from the Romans. The Romans, pfft, who are the Romans? Prideful, arrogant, just such a great picture of humanity in his own element. And God's just like, pfft, not worried about them. There's a bigger enemy that people face. There's a much bigger enemy. There's a much bigger oppression that people face. There's something that people are under, that they are intimidated, that they are being used, that they are being abused, that they are being chased. There's a much bigger enemy, and that enemy is sin. God, was in, through Jesus Christ, was delivering his people. And this, this is what, um, this is what the, uh, the angel said to, um, to Joseph. And it's, it, was, it began here, but it's, it's over and over again, God is making clear to them, I'm delivering you from something, but it's not from the oppression that's an outward oppression. It's from the inward oppression. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what he was in, in Jesus Christ. He was reconciling the world to himself to bring literal eternal life to them in place of, the deadness that sin had brought to them. That was God's plan. John the Baptist said the same thing. He said, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Nobody can do that but God. He was first, the firstborn of many that fit the description of that he was not born by human will, but by the will of God. And that brings us to Mary this morning. That it's so, it's, it's very common nowadays for people to kind of pick and choose what they want to believe about the gospel and kind of pick and choose what they want to believe about the story. And they look at a part of the story and they're just like, well, you know, the Bible was written by people and people kind of make things up. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. And nobody believes that there was really a virgin birth. 
Is it really necessary to believe that there was a virgin birth? Is the virgin birth that central to the whole story? What if it wasn't that way? Does that mean that Jesus Christ is not our Savior and Jesus Christ has not done everything that he says to do? You can start picking it apart like that, but listen to me. The genius of the way God decided to do it was that Jesus was not born by human will. No guy decided that he wanted to have a girl and wound up having a kid. That's not the way that it worked. It was God who had chosen this precious little girl, young woman, to be the vessel of salvation for many, many people, for the, for the whole world. Is it important? Yes, I believe that it is important. I believe that Jesus Christ, in order to be fully man and, and fully God, had to have both God as his father and humanity as his, as his mother. He had to have both of those things. Last week we talked about what, what are the significant aspects of a good gift. And uh, this morning when we're looking at salvation, the, the first thing is who gives it? Who gives the gift? When you get a gift, it says something about that person that's giving that gift to you. Is there anybody that gives you like a gift that when you see that you got a gift from them, you're anticipating, you're thinking, man, these, I, I, they've never failed to give me something you know, useful or something delightful or something valuable or something like that. And I'm not talking in terms of money. I'm not talking in terms of that. I'm talking in terms of giving part of themselves and something that you love in that. The gift of salvation, the gift of saving, is the greatest gift that God has ever given anything, anybody. Now, we live in creation, and we're just like blown away by it. If you ever stop for just a moment and consider it, you know, go outside and look at a, look at a, uh, at the sky uh, when it's really, really dark out there. Or go outside when the sun is setting and just see the landscape that God has created and the paint picture that he paints every single day for us. And if you're not blown away by that, then you're lacking in the ability to be blown away because you should be. When I look at creation, I see as intricate, as small as you can look, there's mysteries that are, that are that the, the smaller that you go, the greater the mystery. And the expanse is the same way. The, greater, the bigger that you get, the more the mystery. And that's because God is that way. He cannot be contained. You cannot understand him. How could man think that he could? How could man think that he had it all figured out? Your brain weighs about 32 ounces. That's a big gulp. Who would think that a big gulp could contain the universe or could comprehend the universe? It can't. You can't. And I think a lot of the things that he created and the way that he did it, he did it specifically just to demonstrate how big and good and intricate and genius he is. But his greatest creation is, it doesn't even hold a candle to his greatest accomplishment. And that is his ability to save, his ability to redeem, his kind heart to every single person, his love. His power is revealed in nature. And whether you know Jesus Christ or not, you are constantly being 
confronted with it. He is constantly speaking. This is Romans chapter 1, I think. He's constantly speaking, and he says, we're really without excuse. When we look around us and we say, all of this just happened. Now, that's a, that's a form of faith that takes greater faith than believing that there is a God who ordained all of this and who ordered all of this. All of that is speaking one thing, but you can see the power of God in nature. You can only see the love of God in Jesus Christ and the redemption and the salvation that was purchased, his ability to save, his ability to rescue. Let's go back to the first, to, to the very first, and that's, uh, that's Eve, the first woman. Now, Eve... Uh, um, just like Adam was told, you know, what she could and couldn't do. Um, when you think about it, it's really a very simple thing. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Don't do that, okay? If I told you, you if you smoke another cigarette, you're going to die from it, do you think you would have a hard time not smoking? Maybe. Maybe. My, my grandpa had uh, emphysema, uh, and he... Uh, he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you know, if you, Joe, he said, if you smoke another cigarette, you're going to die. If you, no, he said, if you buy another pack of cigarettes, you're going to die, is what he told him. You know what my grandpa did? He started rolling his own. And he did die of emphysema. He did. He knew that he would die, and yet he wanted what he knew was going to kill him. Because his, his ability to say no to himself or his ability to to resist that temptation was, was, would not hold a candle to the fact that he could die from it. Even Adam were in the exact same thing. God just said to them, don't eat of this. Can you, could you go through your life without having an apple? Could you do that? Not if it was crossing your will. Not if it was a matter of you saying, I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to live my own life. I have my will and I have my way. Listen. There is no way to love if you don't have the ability to choose. It's not love. And so God built it into the system. He said, I'm going to give you the ability to choose. I'm not neutral on this. I'm not, I'm not saying anything you choose is awesome. He's saying, I'm giving you the ability to choose, but choose what's right. And don't choose what's wrong. And they fell. And Eve ate of the apple, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate of the apple. And immediately what happened? Immediately, there was walls. There was separation. There was immediate separation between them and God. And that was obvious when God came into the garden, and he's used to walking with Adam, and he's like, Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding. And God said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, because I'm naked. Before that, Adam and Eve had hid themselves from each other. And when God asked him about this, Adam began the finger pointing, and Eve began the finger pointing. And, it, it, and it's just a picture of what happens to us when we are outside of the grace of God, and outside of the will of God, and outside of fellowship with Him. It breaks our fellowship with Him, it breaks our fellowship with each other. And that was the beginning of it. God is looking for people who when He says do this, you do it. And when He says don't do that, you don't do it. And I can look at my own heart and say I'm weak. But God says i got a remedy for that. I have a remedy for that. And that remedy is the grace of God made, made manifest in our lives to do the will of God. 
Here's what God's genius plan was. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. Humanity chose not to follow God. And then humanity chose to follow God in Jesus Christ. He was the best of us. He was the best. He was the best example of a human being. He was the most human, human being that any human being has ever been. And he lived to do the will of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But here's what God was looking for. He was looking for a human being that would say, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. When God's will is this, and my will is anything else, to have the grace, to have the courage, to have the willingness, to have the wherewithal to say no to yourself and yes to Him. That's what He was looking for. And that's where salvation came in to the world. It was through a virgin who was a set-aside, sanctified vessel for God's use, and she said that herself. Now, when I baptize kids, you know, I'm always really concerned about kids making a lifelong decision when they're so little, but I'm also convinced, and some of you guys are, are evidence of that, that kids can make a lifelong decision that is real. I tell them it's like being married. Most of the time I tell them that they laugh, you know, because they know that they're too little to be married, but they're not too little to be committed to God, to be in Christ. They're not too little for that. They do need to understand what they're doing, but it's not dependent upon them. In this um, same way, God chose this precious vessel who was the, who was the, 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 um, the end of the genealogy that had come all the way down from Abraham, all the way through um, Moses, all the way through um, David, all the way through all of the patriarchs and came down to this little virgin girl in some God-forsaken place on, on, on the face of the earth. He, she was hidden. And well, she should be, because when she did pop up every now and then, she almost died. <laughs> God hit them on purpose. Shortly, they're going to be running for their lives just because of this, just because she said, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. And they, they're going to hate her, and they're going to hunt her, and they're going to try to put her to death. Why? Because they hate God, and they hate Jesus Christ, and they hate any authority that tries to take precedence over their own will and over their own power. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Who gives it? The second one is how much does it cost? You know, if I was to tell you Jesus paid it all, I think we have a hymn that goes like that, right? Do you know that's not true? Do you know that's not true? Because there is a cost that comes to us. There is a burden for us to bear that is our burden to bear. That's the way that God has designed it. Jesus Christ plainly told them that they would suffer. If Jesus paid it all, what's the suffering about? What's the persecution about? If he paid it all, no. If we're going to bring the gospel, if we're going to bring this word of salvation, if we're going to bring the good news, we are going to pay a price. 
And I'm not talking about what the rich young ruler, when Jesus said, go and sell it all and give it to the poor. No, it's worse than that. It's everything that you are, everything that you hope to be, everything that you have, every relationship, every, your, your own uh, uh, reputation, all of these things go on the altar. Last week we talked about how, you know, we, we rejoice in the fact that God loves us unconditionally, Right? We rejoice in that. that that's, like, that's one of the things about God's love that just blows us away and that we're just like, we, we just, you know, we're standing on that. God loves us unconditionally. Listen to me, love is unconditional. And that's the only way you can love God, too, is unconditionally. You can't put conditions on your love. You can't say, God, I love you because of this and I love you because of that, and if you stop doing this or you stop doing that, I'll stop loving you. Because you will reach a place where he's going to disappoint you. He's going to do things different than you. I'm talking about these long stretches of silence. Those are not punishment a lot of times. That's just God being God. And you being not God. It's not on your time. It's not on your, on your, time, uh, your schedule. He does things his own way. If you're going to love him, you have to love him unconditionally. And listen to me. If you're going to serve him, you have to serve him unconditionally. And this is true of every great person that's ever been used of God, Old Testament or New Testament, is that they cannot go into it just kind of haltingly and like, I'm going to test the waters. You have to go into it with a leap of faith. You have to say no to yourself and yes to Him. You have to say, I hate my life outside of God. And I, I want nothing but to be in God. And so that if you decide that you're going to do the will of God, it has to be like, don't, he, he's not going to do this anyway. You know, tell me a timetable. Tell me all the elements that are involved in it. Tell me how much it's going to cost me and all of that. No, he just says, I want to use you. And you say what? You say yes to Jesus. I can tell you this. When it's all said and done, you will rejoice that you did that. When it's all said and done, no matter what the cost, no matter what your ordeal, no matter how much brokenness and heartache you have to bear, when it's all said and done, you're going to look back on it and you're going to say it's a small price to pay. Paul said, I've, I've suffered the loss of all things, and he said, I'm so happy that I have. Because it was just junk anyway. My reputation? How long is my reputation going to last? My relationship with God is going to last forever. My stuff, my money, my goods... All of these things are going to be lost in the shuffle. But the one thing that I'm grabbing onto and that I'm holding onto, well, I will never lose. We're living in an age of modern-day martyrs. We're living in an age where brothers and sisters just like you and just like me are paying the ultimate price. And I'm not talking about loss of reputation or loss of goods or loss of things. I'm talking about the loss of their life. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was a missionary that was killed bringing the gospel to a, to, a, to a tribe that was lost. And I know, like, the initial reaction, a lot of people's initial reaction was, well, how foolish that was, and what business is it of his to do that? If you're a believer and you say that, I'm, I'm saying to you, you don't really understand the gift of God that you have and how compelling it should be to us that when you know that there are people that are outside the grace of God and outside the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that your deep desire should be to bring the good news to them. Amen? Amen? It's, it looks foolish. It looks, it looks silly. It looks stupid. 
And there's nothing that the devil would like more than to intimidate us and say, oh, you don't need to be doing that. No, this guy had studied for years to become a paramedic, to learn the language of these people, and to prepare himself to go and speak to these people. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. And he knew fully well that he could lose his life. He didn't know that he was going to, but he knew that that was a risk to pay. And when he went in that day, he was expecting to go in with something to offer them. He was expecting to be able to treat them medically. He was expecting to be able to, to, talk to speak to them in their own language. He was expecting to open the Word of God and bring the Word of God to people who had never heard the Word of God before. That's what he was expecting to do, and he lost his life as a result of that. You can't follow God conditionally. You can't follow God in, as long as he jumps through the hoops and does it the way that you want him to. Listen, we all come to God for selfish reasons. But if we're still living selfish lives after walking with him for a while, then something's lacking in our experience with God. Because the more I see what his will is and the more I see what my will is, I want to be on his side. I want to be doing the will of God. I want to be doing something outrageous for him. I want to be doing something that's going to last for eternity, not something that's going to last for a couple of generations. And then finally, what does it say about me? What did this say about Mary? Well, in, in, in the Magnificat, she says, um, my soul magnifies the Lord um, and my spirit has rejoiced because he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. What was her qualification? What did it say about her? It said about her that God can use anybody, right? And it also said about her that God loves the humble he loves the people that don't have it all written up in big lights. He loves the people who are just normal, regular people just living their lives, and he wants to do spectacular things through them. So let me, let me just close with this this morning, okay? And we're going to have just a time of, um, uh, of ministry. Um, one of the things that I know that is, is, is really... Um, um, frustrating for people sometimes is when you know that God has called you or you know that, like I say these things, I say like big words, like God is, you know, really has a purpose for your life and stuff like that. And maybe you haven't experienced that or maybe you've had glimpses of it and you've gotten your hopes up in the past and then it's just like, you know, you get disappointed. And maybe you grow cold. Uh, maybe you get mad at God. You know, I mean, We've all been there. Some of the greatest people uh, that God has used have been there. But if that's turned you cold to God this morning, he wants to light you up again. This morning, he wants to reconfirm that word. Remember what happened with, with Abraham? Abraham, God, he got the promise pretty early on, and then nothing happens. And then God shows up again, and Abraham so, is like, okay, so, you know, here you are. You promised me this, and I have no heir. You said that I was going to have an heir. You said that there was going to be a child that is born to me. And God said, you know what? If that child is born to you, I want it to be a miracle child. I don't want it to be something that you're going to look at and say, was that me or was that God? You're going to know that that was God. And you're going to have to pay the price for that to come about. And God took him outside, and he showed him all the stars in the heavens, which is the handiwork of God. And if God can do all of that, can God not 
cause his wife at an advanced age to become pregnant? God said, look at all of the stars, and just so shall your descendants be. He reiterated that promise. He didn't have to do that. He wants to reiterate that promise to you this morning. If you have a broken heart, this is a hard time of the year for some people. If you have a broken heart, God wants to minister to you. He understands. He's not angry with you. He loves you. He's not frustrated. He's determined. And he will not be dissuaded. Let's stand together. Um, last week we talked about uh, identifying five people. I know that there can be so many more than that in your life. That Five people that really need um, the Lord. Some of those people don't know Jesus at all. Some of them have been just broken and fallen away. Um, some of them, you don't know whether they know Jesus or not. Maybe they think they do, but maybe they don't live uh, a life that looks like an overcoming life. Um, I just want to re remind you of that this morning. Just to pick a spot. Pick five people that you can just begin to pray into. That you can just begin to, in a generous way, include them in your heart before the Lord. In your prayer time before the Lord. Sometimes when you pray for people, you just have a, a limitless amount of things to pray. Sometimes it's really limited, but you just say, I'm bringing them before you, Lord, and they need you. They need you. Will you just stop for a minute and, and, and think about those five people that we talked about last week? Maybe one of them came to the Lord. Maybe one of them had breakthrough this week. Pick somebody else up. Keep your, keep your uh, quiver full. Keep your, uh, the magazine of your gun loaded. You've got five names. And let's just begin, just quietly, let's just begin to lift them up to the Lord. Lift them up by name, okay? Will you just do that with me? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege, uh, Lord, that is ours in Christ Jesus. The incredible privilege that you have looked with mercy, Lord, upon our humility, upon our, upon our brokenness, Lord, uh, upon our inability, Lord, to, to be used of you in any way. And yet you have looked with us in, with mercy, Lord. I pray for those, Lord... Who have, who have received a word like Abraham had, uh, Lord Jesus, and the, and the results tarry, Lord, and, and they don't know why. They don't know if it's them or if it's you or what your purpose is. I pray, Lord Jesus, against frustration. I pray, Lord, for an extra measure of patience and perseverance. I know that you're testing us and proving us, Lord, not to see us fail, but to see us overcome. You're bringing resistance into our lives, Lord, and we say yes. We say yes to you. You're causing us to count the cost, and we say yes. We say yes to you. Just say that to the Lord this morning. Yes. You're causing us to count the cost. Oh, God, I pray that our, our yes to you would be unconditional. Not if you do it our way. Not if you do it in our time. Not if you use us in the way that we want to be used, but that you're... Our yes to you is unconditional. No matter what we face, and we say you are God, you are able to overcome in every situation. I pray, God, that you would use us in the lives of these people that we have identified, that we know need you. Lord, if our friendship, if our uh, nearness to them, if our working with them, Lord, or being in a family with them is of any use to you, use us, God. 
Oh God, our hearts break when we see people struggle. And we want to reach out our hands and, and steady the ark. But oh God, it's you that does that. It's only you that can do that. It's only you, Lord Jesus, that can heal. Only you can give purpose. Only you can turn a life around. And that's what we're praying for, Lord. Use us, God. Use us. But it's not limited to us, Lord. You are sovereign. You can do it any way you want to. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As we go, Lord Jesus, from this place, I pray that we would go with our eyes wide open, looking at the horizon, looking, Lord Jesus, that we would be situationally aware, Lord, in every place that you lead us and everything that you put us in, Lord Jesus, that we would have our, uh, just have our radar up, always looking for a God sighting, always looking for what you're doing, Lord. Send us forth from this place, Lord, on fire to be lights to the world. Light us up, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and you're dismissed.